0: Hello, marketeers. Welcome to another episode of AEC Marketeer Podcast, exploring AEC marketing and beyond. I'm your host, Keelan Cox, and I'll be exploring marketing trends and answering your most pressing questions to help you thrive as an AEC marketeer. All right, marketeers, thank you so much for joining me today. I have on Janky De Palma. She is the director of business development for Kirksey Architecture, with over 20 years of experience in the architecture, engineering, and construction industry. She's a connector at heart who believes there's always room to widen the circle and give people a sense of belonging. Jenky is a frequent speaker and writer on topics such as networking, emotional intelligence, and women in construction. She's a past president for the Society for Marketing Professional Services, a board member of AIA Austin, and active with ULI and commercial real estate women. A San Francisco native, Jenky cheers loudly for the Warriors, 49ers, and Giants. Welcome, Janky. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I brought you on here today to talk about embracing growth mindset in AEC marketing from the perspective of moving away from being what you've coined as a pack mule to more of a unicorn. I don't even know what to call this, like an analogy. However, (laughs) before we get into that, I'm curious how you got started in the industry. What's your story?
1: Oh, okay. So kind of like everyone fell into the industry, I graduated from Davis, uh, UC Davis, and I remember being at this point where I was trying to figure out, do I want to work, like go into grad school or become a teacher, Mm -hmm. or do I want to work in some kind of, like I really glamorized what an office was like. So I remember thinking like, I want to work in a place where I can buy clothes at Ann Taylor. like that. And I thought it was, you know, like I thought maybe I'd work in a PR firm because I have a degree in uh, comparative literature. And so I ended up working in-house for a woman who did professional services, but it was for law firms and accounting firms. So it's the exact same world like we have, but for, for law firms. And then she, within like six months, closed up the shop, six months of me working there. So she'd been around for decades. And I think just kind of, I don't know if she was going through some type of crisis, but she just decided she no longer wanted to do this. So I was laid off six months into that. And then I was hey, bro. brought in house. I know I was brought in <laughs> house to one of our clients as a marketing coordinator for a law firm. And then I was laid off with a bunch of support staff nine months later. Oh my gosh, They had like done this like There was like a big uh, thing and like a lot of the support staff was cut. And so then I went in as the first marketing coordinator for a small, it was like engineering and CM, like owner's rep. And that's how I got into the industry. So then I kind of took that marketing coordinator role and I found that there was a similar like Narnia, there's a, there's a Narnia of of being a a marketer for law firms and then there's the same thing here as ABC and then I kind of pretty much stuck through there there was like a couple side gigs where I was working in like web design you know because I grew up in San Francisco and so that was such a huge deal in the tech industry so I did that for a couple years but pretty much most of my career has always been marketing and then later on BD within this industry.
0: Got it okay so then when we're framing this conversation, what do you see as the roles or characteristics of what we're going to call a mule versus a unicorn? Sure. So one of the things
1: is my mind has to work in analogies and many times like multiple analogies. So I apologize in (laughs) advance if this gets really weird, but so when I say pack mule, I want you to think of like that old time, like Miner that's in the Sierra Nevadas who has got like it's like looking for gold and there's a literal mule that is sure way down with a bunch of stuff right right and and so the reason I say that is when you ask me about my journey you know there was quite a few layoffs right there's other layoffs I didn't even talk about so I have had like now that I've had time to reflect a lot of kind of like workplace trauma with what it means to be laid off especially early in your career and the uncertainty. And so I think that coupled with, like, sometimes there's like a systemic element in our industry that kind of says, like, what we do really isn't, like, intrinsically valuable, right? Like, Mm. we're just there. Anyone can do the job. You know, there's such a low barrier to entry at times. So I felt like the way to sort of future-proof myself was to just take it all on. So I willingly became that pack. I was like, load me up. Like, you'll be so glad you brought me figuratively to go mining, right? Like mining for, for jobs or whatever, because I'm here and I will do everything. Late nights, all the proposals, I'll be smiley, I'll be pleasant. You want me to do whatever, events, I'm here. I'm your girl. I'm the person who just keeps carrying this burden. Right. And I kept thinking the more I did that, the more likely someone would look at me and go, well, look at how much she does. I give this girl a raise. Let's give her a promotion. Right. And it's like an ongoing lesson. But what I've come to realize is that mules don't get promoted. Mm. And if you're kind of taking the analogy, that's like, kind of like a mule is sort of like an equine in like a a combo of a, of a donkey and a horse. Right. So the one that gets promoted is the unicorn. And, you know, and the unicorn doesn't have to carry all this stuff. Like, you know, like kind of now really going far fetch. like you look at like my little pony that unicorn is just being sparkly and beautiful all on her own and that's the thing that i realized was really kind of like getting ahead had way more to do with like what my actual value was versus Mm. doing a lot like doing a lot is useful and that's great but really having understanding like what it is you bring to your business that's unique and valuable and solves a problem, that is the unicorn, And right. that's what I needed to do. And I was definitely part of the problem, but that's what I needed to do to future-proof my job. You know, having that trauma of having been laid off and being, you know, all, all those kind of like uncertainties was really figuring out like, what do I do that can actually like move this business forward? And staying
0: up all night doing a proposal is not really that, right? Sure. So if I could summarize, and you can tell me if I've got this right. The way you see this as is the pack mule is useful, whereas the unicorn is valuable. Exactly. Okay. Got it. All right. So then I relate to your story, and I'm sure so many marketers do, of just feeling like we have to be the catch-alls and we do have to be these pack mules, sort of because it's a two-edged Sword of like we're sort of expected to, and then we really want to, in a sense, because we want to be helpful. Um, do you think that you have to start off doing mule tasks to really get a feel for what it takes to be a unicorn or to be a great marketer, or is there a way to bypass this stage? Is what you're saying is you know, you, you hone in on your value and then leverage that from day one, or is this sort of like a rite of passage?
1: You bring up so many interesting points because one, you're right. There are like industry and systemic things that people just expect, you know, especially if like a firm doesn't have a lot of experience or hasn't really understood the value of marketing. They kind of feel like, oh yeah, this is the marketer's job. It's just, you you know, stay late, whatever, do whatever you need to there definitely is your own identity, right? Like I'm the the one who stays late and like never say die, like I will do it, right? Right. Um, I think, you know, and then of course there is the reality of being, if you're a new hire, especially if you're new in the industry, you might be facing potential bias of being seen as entitled if you come up and you start pushing back. So all of these things are things to be cognizant of. But I do feel that, it's never too early to really pay attention and see how you can solve a business problem. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So I'm not saying like when someone asks you to you know, work on a proposal that you push back and you say, no, I really don't want to, or I don't, you know, like, I'm not saying that at all. But as you become observant, you start seeing what are the actual things that are needed in this, even whatever microcosmos that you have at your firm you can begin to see, oh, you know, can I do some of the writing because my PM hates writing and is always late on his approach or, you know, their approach because they don't like doing it, but I'm really good at that. Mm -hmm. I could interview them and write that. Like, could that be an avenue that maybe is a little more unicorn-y, right? You know, if you were a younger person now, maybe you're seeing some elements of social media that you think, oh gosh, i I could really handle that. And I see that our competitors are, you know, putting really interesting things on LinkedIn. Like, can I add that and use that to solve a business problem? Right. And so I think as you start doing that, you become more valuable. And ideally your firm sees like, oh, wait, you know, your time is so much like the ROI is so much more than when I had this person stay, you know, late, Every night to work on a bunch of proposals, and I think that's sure. a continual discussion you end up having. Yeah. And then you know, sometimes firms don't want to eat a uniform.
0: and you have to figure that out, right? Right. Well, that's such a good point. Like sometimes a firm just really does need a pack mule.
1: Yeah. Like back then, the miner might have really felt like they like he needed a pack mule, and you know, it could take some you know convincing to say mm. like you know kind of like to beat that analogy you know like if the unicorn was like hey you know instead of me carrying all your stuff why don't i help you find an easier way to get this gold or why don't i look help you find a an area that hasn't been over mined you know like that mm-hmm. would be solving the miner's business problem but sometimes the miner would have might have been the kind of person who's like i just want you to carry a lot of stuff right and be quiet and yep. then the unicorn needs to know like oh well I have a couple of choices,
0: right? Like, right, right. Well, and I think that's actually such an important point to make, because I feel like sometimes we feel really stuck when something like that happens and you do have choices.
1: You always have agency. And it took me years to realize that like, every time you go back into the front door of your office, you're making a choice. And right. I'm not saying you just sort of like flip the tables, like some kind of reality you know star and just quit but if someone let's say you're having this discussion and you don't have to use this analogy because it's so like kind of out there but you realize that they really don't want you to be solving a business problem they really want you to turn out proposals that's information you can take and maybe you start looking at like what skills do i need to do something else and you start getting those skills like either at your firm or you know maybe you're volunteering like let's say you're active in smps you realize like oh i can get get it. Do this through, you know, like the the communications committee and I'm going to get that experience this way and I'm going to network and eventually, like you start kind of like creating a plan and that gives you agency. Nothing's worse than being stuck and you just feel like, why did I choose this career? Because it's always going to be this way and you get so fatalistic.
0: Yep. Yep. In there. Yeah. It's not fun. Mm -hmm. So then what was the aha moment for you or the switch that went off that helped you see that you could do and be more as an AEC marketer?
1: Well, it's continued. It's happened a few times, but the one that was really recent is that it goes at another firm and I had actually, so I had this moment where I was really kind of like, like I was trying to get this, this big promotion and I was told to just do more Mm. And for some reason. I just, accepted that i didn't ask for clarification that's definitely my fault and i started doing a lot right and then when the time came i was told that like i wasn't getting it and i wasn't given a reason and Mm. i had that moment another kind of analogy i don't know if you've ever seen legally blonde
0: yeah oh yeah Um, (laughs)
1: there's that moment where Elle finally realizes like she says to warner like i am never going to be good enough for you am i and it was that mm-hmm. like I had that moment where I realized like this is never happening. Like it doesn't matter what I do. like and then I started kind of I got kind of sad about it, but then I realized I started thinking that, oh, well, you know, I kind of have been this pack mule right it's like why would why would you 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 know what real value am I doing other than more, which is kind of mm-hmm. the directive I was given. So then I started kind of figuring out like what do I do well, what is, you know, what business value does it add? But then also realizing that like, I needed to believe that not necessarily like, like my worth wasn't based on whether someone appreciated it. Like I was bringing value and, you know, sometimes you have to make a decision to find somewhere else that does see your value. And that's a very painful one to make, but it, it takes it away from being, externally focused right and like what other people are saying about you, what your manager is saying about you, what some, you know, vice president like four states over thinks about you. Mm. It really comes down to then you knowing like, hey, I do this and I know this solves this business problem. I have evidence. And then you know if they're they don't want that, then I can just, you know, you start kind of exploring and looking at like what what kind of place do I want? And
0: that becomes another discussion. Right. I have a very similar experience to you of, (laughs) of sort of chasing after something and then realizing like, oh, I I can have this checklist of all the things that I've done and it's never actually going to be enough. And I remember there was one call that we were on as a team and my manager pulled up a spreadsheet of what she perceived as the strengths of our team members. Right? And mine said compliance. And I hate compliance. I don't think it's a strength of mine at all, but I I love to write. And I was nowhere on that writing list. No matter how much writing I did as part of that extra piece, it was just not going to be recognized. And kind of like you said, it's a really sad moment. But then you're like, you know what, just because I'm not on this list that someone created doesn't mean that that's not a strength of mine, you know, and it was just <laughs> such a, like, a a slap in the face. So and there's almost like a grief process
1: with that where you're it's, it's really just like that, that point in the movie where she just realizes like, oh, yeah. like wow, I get it. But you know and it's the same thing and then you you know as a writer even if it's not being recognized where you're at like there's other avenues right like you could right. write for the marketer you could write for other public like who you are and those skills always belong to you and that is one of the things i find really interesting about our industry it's like no one can take that away right yeah you know? so it's just like find another way to like push that forward and then you know you start working different avenues and you realize that like, those skills really are skills just because you were at a place that they reduced you to the like, compliance as your skill which right. I, I don't know you very well but you know I listen to your podcast quite a bit that would never have been like the top skill I'd have put oh for I, you. Hate, I, mean, I hate I <laughs>
0: hate compliance I am not a detail-oriented person whatsoever like at all
1: <laughs> but I mean that is so it's and it's No, not to anyone who is compliant and finds great value in that, but it's, it's just the kind of thing where, you know, it kind of going back to like what you talked about earlier with the growth mindset, it really comes from understanding it internally and not necessarily getting that external validation. It's like, okay, you are a good writer. Then you don't necessarily need some VP somewhere in another area to necessarily talk
0: about that like you know what your skills are it's true regardless of who recognizes it Mm -hmm. right yeah so going off on the the area of growth mindset what role do you think growth mindset has in this evolution of us as marketers within this industry so
1: when I talk about the growth mindset, it's really based on the work of um, Carol Dweck. She's a Stanford professor and she has done quite a few TED Talks, uh, but she also wrote a book called Mindset. Mm-hmm. And I was it was actually required reading when my son was going to a uh, high-performing middle school.
0: And it was oh, required
1: cool. reading for all parents and they did a semester long class on it. And wow. so the, the in the book Mindset, Dweck has kind of like, puts together all her research that kind of talks about there's like two mindsets one is this fixed mindset which pretty much revolves around the idea that like talent is innate I like mm. kind of think like you got like two scoops of writing talent from God sure. you know, like you're and someone else has one scoop and so you have more but because of that people with a fixed mindset are so used to being labeled as smart or intelligent or you know, good writer, or whatever, because these things come easily. So they feel that there's like a ceiling of your abilities, and sure. then once you hit that ceiling, that's it. Like you've now reached your whatever innate amount. Sure. And so because of that, you get so much praise for the your abilities, and especially how easy it comes to you. Right, you're quick. You're you're pretty flawless. Even new things you learn really well. So it becomes a huge part of your identity. And unconsciously, you really don't wanna do things that make you look less than stellar. It's really your sure. nature. So you start making choices and doing things that put you in positions where you naturally shine. So you're kind of afraid to stretch yourself. And then what happens is you also can't help but become super competitive, right? Because a lot of what you're doing is in comparison to other people. Because since the skills you have are fixed or innate, you need to be better than somebody. Mm. Oh, and you're always afraid of being worse than somebody. So you're always like looking over your shoulder and everywhere to see like, okay, am I better than this guy? And oh no, this person's coming up and... Is this person going to be better than me? And it's a very, it's one that you see a lot, especially for like high performing kids. You know, yeah. this is why we had to read the book as parents because the school was trying to break this and trying to get your kid to be okay with failing because that's how you really learn to grow. And that's her other concept is the growth mindset where you believe that skills can be learned. And the only way to learn them is to fail understand how you failed and move from that so you become very resilient you become open to asking questions there is no competition because remember it's all where you are in this ladder so it's not like I'm innately smarter than you it's just like oh I'm just a couple rungs below you but I'm working towards it. and it's a very internally focused concept which is so like the antithesis of a lot of like Educational systems sure. that if you're able to embrace that, so this is like a long-winded thing. So for, for for us as marketers, when you start embracing that, you really stop looking for sort of this external validation. I mean, you still want to make sure you're solving a business problem and you're meeting expectations, but you become way less like obsessed about appearing to be like you know, a better marketer than somebody or, oh, other marketers wouldn't be able to handle this kind of a workload, but not me, you know, like you Mm. become this sort of like, your identity is not that anymore. You become really good at going, I'm going to try this and see how this works out. And you might be wobbly. Like, for example, if you were to do a podcast, maybe your first couple episodes are kind of, eh, you don't just stop. You actually move forward versus going, well, gosh, you know, if my first episode isn't as good as Keelan's current episode, I'm just a failure. And I'm just going to not pursue hosting a podcast. I'll do something else because right away I didn't like, you know, stick the landing. Yeah. yeah. So definitely pushes you. And for me, it changed so much of like where I got my validation, the competitiveness to stop like feeling like, oh, did... You know, does someone wish they had hired another marketer instead of me? It's just Mm. like, "Eh, you know, we're all, we're all hustling. We're all doing our best. I'm working on this and it's only me. I'm not competing with anybody.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. For anyone that's curious, feel free to listen to my first three episodes because they are (laughs) crap. The guests are incredible, (laughs) but my ability to ask questions has evolved quite a
1: bit. And that's the thing, it's like, you know this when you have children, right? Mm. Like, and you tell them like, yeah, it's like keep riding the bike or whatever, walking. And you see this, you do this innately. But at the same time, there is a part of you that does get a little excited when like your kid walks before everybody else does, right? Or whatever, sure. it's all his, you know, broccoli or whatever. It's just, you just, there's this innate sense that like, oh, my kid picked it up quicker. Like that's yes. somehow better. And I think that's something for us to really pay attention to, especially those of us who got so much validation and kudos for being like quick learners, so smart, you know, so helpful, all those kind of things, very, it, you know, very good things to be, but really to grow, you have to be wobbly and right. fall, right? Not just wobbly, you like, you kind of have some big mistakes. And so I think yeah. that was and that's hard because if you're so worried that you might get laid off, the last thing you want to do is look wobbly, right? You want to look right. like everything is perfect. And those late nights were like a breeze. just no big deal. And I can just keep working harder and harder uh, because you're trying to show like you haven't hit your ceiling. Mm.
0: Yeah. So much to say there.
1: <laughs> I know your face is telling me like you have a story, so-
0: I, yeah, I'm just thinking like the the wobbly We my I have a 2-year-old and one of our nannies speaks Spanish and she has this phrase called "wamaso." And it's like when you have like a real big fall. And you just call it what it is. If she has like <laughs> a real big fall, it's sort of like "te diste un wamaso," like you had a you just you made a big oopsie. And I do feel like as marketers, we're terrified of our wamasos. like, we're terrified of not being compliant. And, you know, but everyone has a story of not being compliant. You know, everyone has a story of a proposal going absolutely backwards, or a campaign really crashing and burning. But that's sort of like, you you almost need that to be where we at right now so like we all need our wamasos but Me too. <laughs> and, and I think what's also so interesting is
1: like sharing those and like, right. learning from those and I I just like submitted an article that was all about something very similar where I had watched a video and it was about how to cook some like meatballs because my son was interested in that and the guy shared a mistake that he made Mm. And I remember thinking, well, why would you share that? Like, just edit that video. I just, why would you share that you made a mistake? But it actually created an interesting learning point. And it made me look at like, okay, yeah, like i make mistakes, but you know, I don't necessarily go out of my way to share them. Right. And what is that saying about me? What is that saying about how I want to appear? What is this saying about me and like where I am in this growth mindset of, you know, those muscles and mistakes are all part of it, right? And right. we all have them, but it's also kind of going, you know, it's like really understanding that it's you getting better. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. so hard, you know, especially in, sometimes when you feel I don't know, like depending on the firm, sometimes you feel like you should just be grateful every day that they hired you. Yes, and that, and while yeah. I you know, and while I am very grateful that I work for the company I'm at, it's a, they're benefiting too. And I remember for so many years, so many places, I just kept feeling like I hope they don't ever wake up and realize they don't want me. Mm-hmm. and living under that fear of just like I hope somebody in some VP group doesn't decide like. My salary is part of the cuts that need to happen. Right, you know, it's, it's it's a very uncomfortable place to be.
0: Yeah. So then, are there any like concepts or tools that you've used to help inform your work now as a unicorn that you are, that you wish you would have known sooner? It's funny. So I feel
1: like your unicornness is like a continual journey. So I don't feel like you suddenly like I'm now like a fully unicorn, but I guess there's some unicornness about me. But so there's different things you could do to figure out your strengths, right? I think like strengths finders, all those things are really great. They're classic um, things to do. I had so much workplace trauma that whenever I did strengths finders, I would just sort of brush them off. And be like, yeah, yeah, empathy. That's like my number one. Okay, right. Communication. All right. Whatever. So I did this exercise that I found on LinkedIn, and I did it just before my presidency. And I sent out an anonymous survey to about ten of my closest, like, work friends, like people who knew me in the industry. And I asked them two questions. And one of the questions was, "What is like a unique work skill of mine?" And then um, the second one is, if you could take a skill of mine and steal it, what would it be? Interesting. And it was anonymous. So say I had no idea what they said. But was what was interesting was like, you know, like staying late to work on proposals was not one of those lists. So I imagine like if you asked people who you compliance wouldn't be one of them right so I started getting things especially that second question where people talk about like man if I could take this from you I would because I it really made you made me see like oh like I took this for granted because it's kind of your working genius right but people are like I would do anything if I could have this so you know like for me it's it's like I'm really good at making people feel welcome like I can read a room really well and see who needs to be Who doesn't feel connected? Playing a host is something I really like doing. Something I downplayed all the time. I figured, like, of course everyone does that, right? You know, that was a big skill. My communication skill came up as ones that people wanted to steal. Again, stuff that I just always took for granted. Sure, this could be. I mean, there's different ways to find out what could be pointing towards your unicornness, but I think that I found that exercise to be so helpful and I took the the survey and I put it in like a notepad so anytime I'm kind of feeling a little down I'll like read the actual responses and it's really crazy because I, I I never asked my friends like what they wrote I felt that was like way too self-indulgent but mm. I it's very interesting to know that like someone who I work with or someone who's on the board with me thinks this you know and it was, yeah. it was it's very humbling but it was also kind of a sign like hey you know stop, stop carrying everything, like do this instead. So I, that's my, the thing that works for me.
0: That seems like it would be a great tool as like a, a team building exercise for like a board or even for a marketing team. So I hope someone steals that and tells you.
1: I wish I had, we, we did so much of our meetings virtually at mm-hmm. times, but I kind of felt like if I could do it again, I would have included this because it would have been really nice to anonymously see what other people see as your strengths, especially for something like a board or marketing
0: team. Yeah. I I wish I had, had found a way to incorporate them. Very cool. So then if there are people, I'm assuming there are going to be plenty of people who are out there listening and really identifying with this mule analogy, what advice would you give them?
1: Well, what's hard is when you've been a mule, you know, like not carrying that load, is unexpected, right? It's it's a boundary. And boundaries right. are hard. Boundaries are really hard for me, and so you probably need some help establishing boundaries. And that and that can come from a variety of places. Sometimes, depending on what your situation is, maybe you can talk to a manager and say, "Oh, you know, these last couple of proposals I've been da da da. It's really I just can't. I need a little bit of break or whatever. Or I, I this is not sustainable." you might be able to do those boundaries in a small way. So maybe you can start saying no to something that is like dumped on you that isn't really adding to your job. So, you know, like when you're asked to bring cupcakes and do all those kind of like, sort of like office housekeeping things, maybe that could be a boundary you hold. But the truth is sometimes, you know, when a mule doesn't do everything, they're labeled as stubborn. Right. You know, so you have to be aware that like, you turning into the unicorn in a place that is seeing you as a pack mule and you've been a pack mule may cause some destruction. Right. And you have to ask yourself, is that okay? Or do I want to keep carrying the load? And that's not a decision I can make for anybody. I can tell you my personal realization was that I didn't want to be a pack mule. I thought that was going to get me promoted. I thought it was going to keep me secure. I thought that was really going to make me seem special. And it didn't, yeah. I was like a dime a dozen. And so at times though, pushing back was hard. Like at sure. times, people kind of looked at me and were like, what do you mean? You can't come here and, you know, work all weekend. And mm. I found that happening. Especially once I had children, I was like, I'm not doing that. Right. And then they're like, well, yeah, they're like, why not? I'm like, well, no, this is not happening. This is not right. normal. I can't do it. Some people don't want boundaries. Yeah, it's it's a, it's really tough. I mean, I wish I wish everything could be negotiable. It, it has been like the hardest lesson in, in my career to realize that like the grief that takes place when you realize like sometimes what you need for your professional health and growth and your mental health may be at odds with the people who you called your work family for years. It's Such mm-hmm. a painful situation. Yeah, but sometimes you have to choose you. But, and I'm not advocating that everyone (laughs) quit their jobs, but I think it's something to talk about. It's like, can you start adding value? And I hope that people can, and their firms are like, wow, this is so much better. This, you know, cool podcast is, is adding so much more to our firm than, you know, the cupcakes or whatever, you know, I hope that there's firms out there that can see value when it's presented to them.
0: Right. I like that you bring up boundaries because I think it's a tough lesson in life and it's one that I didn't totally grasp until I was listening to another podcast that said, cause I was like, I'm setting these boundaries and this person isn't respecting them. And I was just getting angry. And the one, it was, it was a little nugget that I will now just never forget. It was boundaries are something that you put in place And the actual boundary is how you react to it not being adhered to. It's not the person. So like, for example, if I say, I'm not going to reply to emails after 5 p.m. And I tell people that. I'm like, guys, I'm not going to reply to emails past 5 p.m. I did try to do that. And then I would get emails past 5 p.m. And I was fuming, right? I was like, I said, I'm not going to reply. and what a boundary is, is saying, I'm not going to reply. Like, this is my reaction to this boundary. It's it's something that I hold, not something that you hold. Like the boundary is in my hands.
1: It is. And I. so my older son just started college, but for the last couple of years, we used to commute together. And so whenever I'd write an article, I'd like kind of pitch to him and get his thoughts. So there was an article I wrote a couple of years ago about boundaries for the marketer. And he doesn't understand like boundaries in terms of like interpersonal skills. I mean, he's like a teenager, but he understands boundaries in sports because he's really mm-hmm. a big sports guy. So the boundaries are established. You sure. know where the goal line is. You know where the foul line is. You know when, like, if you're into basketball, you know where out of bounds is. Right. It's not like up to you know like Steph Curry to decide where out of bounds is. No. Right. It's, it's everyone. It's here. It helps everyone play the game correctly and mm. when he told me that I was just like so kind of the same thing it's like if you're establishing the boundary just don't reply after five yeah you know and so in a way and then you could decide you know do they get fouled? you know if, if it was something you're like hey I need to remind you like I literally will not reply it's like that phone is thrown in my purse and I'm not looking at it until nine right so if someone's really like you know oh, I, I'm just saying it's it was interesting to hear him point about it from a sports metaphor. Right. Because then you're like, oh, it's, they're painted. Right. Yep. You know, and you can get close to the line, but, <laughs> it, it, right? Like a good player plays really close to the boundary, but it's still, and then, you know, plays get reviewed. Again, I told you analogies. <laughs> I love analogies, it. I love but, it. <laughs> but here, having Gabriel explain this to me really made me see, like, oh, yeah, which is why I think, like, really great managers help establish those boundaries. I think it is such an unfair thing to say to a young coordinator, you need to push back when a principal of your firm is telling you to come in and work on a proposal on a Saturday morning. That is a huge imbalance of power. I have a friend who runs a department and she will say that if, if that happens, she calls like that person to the carpet. Like, so if she sees that like one of her attorneys called staff in over the weekend to work you never praise anyone for burning the midnight oil you never praise anybody for working late that is a waste of resources and mm-hmm. she will then turn later to that attorney and go like what did you mismanage that you had to like pull these company resources in this way and you can't do that
0: that is and a I was much like, better way of looking at this yeah
1: so you don't accidentally praise that behavior you look at it really as a like there was really no reason for us to be doing these things this is always someone not managing something well and Mm -hmm. I didn't ever realize that I could say anything I thought I looked I don't know I just always thought that like somehow I looked non-compliant like I looked like I was being difficult by saying that hey staying till like one in the morning doesn't work for me yeah yeah so it's, yeah. it was, it's, so it's, it's, interesting. Like the boundary part, it's tough. It's never easy. I, some people are great at it. I'm not, it, it's always a
0: work in progress. Yeah. I think it comes naturally to very few people. Yeah. So I lastly just want to bring up and say, congratulations for winning president of the year.
1: You Thank didn't you. want to do
0: a full interview about no, it. No, I thought that was too crazy. <laughs> But I do want to talk about it a little bit. So like one okay, question right. seems like an appropriate amount to talk all about right. it. So all right. I, I know you don't want to toot your own horn, but can you tell me about your year and, you know, your presidency?
1: Oh, yeah, sure. So I was chapter president for Austin in 21, 22. Mm-hmm. And I give to give a huge shout out to my other presidents. Uh, we have all the presidents have a class name. So we're the comeback kids. And we definitely... Were the comeback kids after, oh, you know, the big, after lockdown and some of my presidents were still in quarantine, like depending on what states or cities they were in for like a right. lot of their year. It was, I mean, it was such an interesting year because we were trying to figure out what to do and how to move forward. I think one thing that was really interesting for me was when we started the year, I had us look at sort of our core value as a chapter and our core value ended up being belonging. Like more than anything, we wanted anybody who like interacted with the chapter in whatever way mm. to feel like they belonged here. And for the, our marketers, we wanted belonging to also mean like there were serious benefits to belonging. So we wanted their firm to be like, oh, I'm so glad you're part of s and Like you got the hookup to do this, this and this. And it made decisions a lot easier because then it became, you know, we would kind of go like, did this fall within these boundaries? Like, does it help us? create belonging? If not, like, what do we do? So, you know, then became a thing where we really started paying attention to what kind of speakers do we have, right? And what's the makeup of those speakers? Do they feel like they belong? Does our group feel like they see themselves reflected in everything that we're doing, right? So that part became a really interesting experiment to kind of push this narrative. And then how do you make sure our board and volunteers don't feel like overwork pack mules because that's so easy when you're on on a board like especially a group like SMPS where you just want to give so we started looking at like where have we been suffering silence and where can we make changes how can we create a culture where if you needed to tap out for a little bit you could and right. then come right back in and that part was we all did it it was really great and i mean i i know so many of the other presidents really well i, I respect them so tremendously that like we all just tried our very best there was some amazing work that a lot of the other chapters did so these things are always kind of interesting how they work out but I feel like we were all winners like I respect those um, other presidents so much they did such great
0: things for their chapters yeah well I love that it's like a, a values check for every decision Made. Yeah, there was a couple of
1: difficult ones, and at mm. times it really did make having the value check like it became easy to make the sure. decision. Because sometimes you're, you know, like you, you have a decision, and you're like, oh, you know, so and so going to get mad, or does this make us look weird? But then it's just like, well, no, the value is this. It's just like it's just violating this value, and then you realize it did, and then you can make a tough decision but it's like you know you're right because this was the value right so it, it was very helpful at times because i'm always trying to find a way where I can make everyone happy and sometimes you can't
0: and the right. value
1: one having that like particular value of belonging made it really easy
0: sure go, okay so this, this is the right path right that's awesome yeah, well thank, thank you, you so much for taking the time to chat with me this has been such a fun conversation Thank you for asking. This is
1: actually it is it's been a fun thing to explore just, you know, especially because I kind of feel like for people who don't know me and you see something like chapter president, mm-hmm. it's really easy to sort of like put people in like a one dimensional stance. Like, you yeah. of even, you know, like like I, I met you at, at a regional conference and it's really easy to really kind of like gloss it over. It's like, oh, she speaks, she's podcast, she has her own business. It's like, she must've been born a unicorn like from <laughs> like from the get-go. And you realize like, oh no, like we've all been through this. Like, you know, we all have ways to find agency. We all have ways to understand like what makes us sparkle? How does that solve business problem? All these kind of things that like, you know, I just hope that, it, it helps maybe spark some discussions. It's been really fun chatting with you about it and, yeah. and kind of like diving
0: in on it. Love that. So lastly, I just want to mention that you have an article coming out in The Marketer that really digs into this topic. Do you know when that's coming out?
1: No, actually, so I just turned it okay. in a little while ago. And so, okay. and it TBD. really is, it's TBD. So The Marketer Perfect. is such a well-oiled machine. They, they put articles, like we turn in articles like months in advance. So sure, I'm sure it, It'll be probably coming next year. Got it. Well, when I see it, I will repost. Then you'll know what the yes. oh, there's a
0: pack mule. What? Like, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much.
1: Thank you. This has been absolutely delightful. I really admire the work you do. I you know I I'm a fan of your podcast, so I was floored that you were interested in chatting about this. And I'd love to hear other people's comments too, if if, you know. Uh, if they've been in that position, especially if they've been able to turn it around, I think that's a I think yeah, that's a turning we, yeah. point that all of us have had in our career.
0: Yeah, yeah. Cheers to the Wamasos.
1: Yes, Wamasos. <laughs> I wish I that word. That's like, maybe they'll make me redo the article and they'll put that that, that phrase in there instead. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much. This has been so fun.
0: All right, Marketeers, that's a wrap on this week's episode of the AEC Marketeer podcast. I hope you enjoyed that little Easter egg I left you in there of my two-year-old. As always, if you're enjoying this podcast, I would invite you to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. New episodes are released every other Wednesday. Chat soon.